Good morning. I'm Brian Berger, and apparently I'm Paul Artino's, I heard, favorite teacher. Somebody corrected me and said one of his favorite teachers. But uh, I'm a community's pastor here. I haven't been uh, in the pulpit yet. This is actually, no, I've been twice, 8 o'clock and 9.30 this morning. This is my first time, so uh, give me grace. But it's been a pleasure uh, preaching this morning and sharing God's word with people that feel like family. My wife, who was my girlfriend in 1999, came to this church, and I followed her over here. We got married shortly after, and we've been here ever since, so... Um, this feels like family. 22 years old, we've been in community ever since we got here. I'm a community's pastor, and so I get to spend a lot of time with many of you, and a lot of times not as visible on Sunday because I'm teaching a class or doing launch point or whatever, so uh, this will be fun. Um, let me pray first, and then we'll jump into uh, our narrative today in Mark. We're going we're gonna to pick up in chapter 10 today, so let me pray for us. Father, we want to be overwhelmed today with your goodness, and, and no words can do it, and we know that, and yet we, we pray that your spirit would do it. Your spirit would stir us up uh, to love for you, to love for one another, um, that, God, we would be uh, people who reflect you in our world, that you'd use this time to form us and to equip us, and we pray you do that in Christ's name, amen. Um, a little bit about myself. I, I was a former teacher. I taught high school at Tempe High School. I was also the baseball coach there. Love teaching kids and uh, something I'm still passionate about today. In fact, uh, I have a class called uh, Bedtime Gospel, which focuses on how to use bedtime to communicate God's truths through story in the bedtime. So I'd recommend anyone that's raising kids that would love to get better at that. I would love to see you in there. I'm a storyteller. I love telling stories with my kids. It's the favorite part of my day, and I'm looking at them right there. There they are. We, uh, we sit on the bed, and we tell stories, and I try and explain how great God is through many of the stories that he shared. And this morning is going to be a little bit different because my style is that of more of a narrative uh, teacher. So I want us to get caught up in what's going on in Mark. And my fear is, as I was preparing that we would get these four snapshots that we're going to cover in Mark 10 and that we would lose sight or not get the grand picture of what is happening so far in Mark's narrative. And so I'm going to try and start at the beginning and work our way all the way to Mark 10 and then pick up four big chunks of scripture and I've got 30 minutes to do it. We can do this. Um, we're going to start with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the first character that we see in the narrative, uh, Mark. And John the Baptist, as many of us know, is in the wilderness preaching a message of repentance for forgiveness of sins. My kids would call him the bug eater. He eats bugs and locusts and wears camel skins. I'm picturing in my head Captain Caveman. I don't know what he looked like, but that's kind of the description of this man. Definitely not the picture of this mighty prophet that sometimes we can picture in our head. John the Baptist is preaching, and at the height of his ministry, thousands of people are coming out to the Jordan River to hear this man preach this message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And in the midst of the pinnacle of it, and thousands of people there, he stops, and he says, this is the man. And I can imagine being in the crowd and kind of looking around like, who's the man? This is the man 
of whom I said, I'm not worthy to stoop down and unstrap his sandal. This is the one I said was coming. And in other gospels, he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now we have to do a little bit of work to understand what he's talking about. In this time, the Jews are eager for rescue. The Roman Empire is the strongest and most ruthless empire on earth, and they have the Jews pinned down with an authoritative rule. They're crying out for mercy and God to save them, and God, through the prophets long ago, prophesied of a king that would come, a Christ, a Messiah, a rescuer. And in every way that the world has burned turned and twisted and broken by sin, the Messiah would come and establish an eternal kingdom on earth. He would fix everything. Justice would reign. Righteousness, shalom, which is harmony, love at the center of everything in this kingdom. They would have known well their history, that God had redeemed them once before from the mighty power and hand of Pharaoh, and he did it with mighty works. They'd be praying, please, Lord, rescue us. Send us a redeemer. And it was prophesied in Isaiah that one would come before the Christ that would prepare the way. That's John the Baptist. And then John points out the Christ is here. Now, if we would have turned in that crowd, we would have turned and looked and saw a man who was a handyman from Nazareth. A handyman from Hila Bend is what we would have saw. <laughs> is anyone from Hila Bend in here? It's a good thing. Handyman from Gila Bend, a small town in a weak nation, in a humble family, in a regular, ordinary, blue-collar job. That's the man that John's been talking about, the Lamb of God, the King, the Messiah. doesn't make any sense. Before we go any further, we have to understand the upside-down nature of God's kingdom. That in what God created that was right, we were made to serve. And yet, how sin is twisted, Jesus walks into a world that sees we desire to be served. In the beginning, it was that we lower ourselves to be exalted. And yet, he walks into a world that says we exalt ourselves to be exalted. So the fact that God chose Captain Caveman, John the Baptist... And the handyman, Jesus from Nazareth, doesn't make any sense and nobody recognizes it. John baptizes Jesus. Jesus is driven out into the wilderness. Very much like Moses led Israel out of the exodus from Pharaoh through the waters of the Red Sea and out into the wilderness only to fail to obey God. Jesus, through the waters of baptism, out into the wilderness and succeeds in every way that he was tempted. And he comes back with an amazing message that we should all cheer and celebrate for. He says, the time's up. The waiting's over. The kingdom of God is here. It's among you. The Messiah has come. Now repent. Turn from your ways. Turn from the upside-down ways of the world and repent and believe this good news. Good news that changes everything. Now it's election time, and many of us have been paying attention to politicians and their promises for changing the world. 
And I'd like to look at Jesus' next thousand days and his mission to change the course of the world forever, to establish God's kingdom on earth. And what does he do with the thousand days? And all of this is going to lead up to four snapshots in Mark chapter 10. We have to understand this. Here's the Pac-Man image. I'm going I'm to put goggles on us right now. That Now, I, I use this illustration with some, uh, I, I lead an assisted care Bible study. Do we have that? Anyways, you guys know Pac-Man? I tell these people about Pac-Man. Here we go. And that the way up is down and the way down is up. Okay? If you don't know Pac-Man, I really can't believe that. <laughs> these people in the assisted care were like, Brian, that was a great illustration, but make sure you explain Pac-Man because we have no idea what that is. You eat these little white pellets. You try and escape the ghosts. You move to the right, you end up on the left. You move to the left, you end up on the right. You move down, you end up on top. You go up, you end up down. Now, if we put those goggles on, Jesus is going to make a lot more sense because in his kingdom, it works like this. You work your way down, you end up on top. You work your way to be on top, and you end up on down. On down? <laughs> Strike that from the record. Thousand days Jesus has to change the course of the earth, the world, and his first-round draft pick, for you sports fans, first-round draft pick, fisherman. Not quite the choice I would have taken. Second round, though, fisherman. Third round, third-round draft pick, Fisherman, fourth round, fisherman. Jesus does not know how to establish a kingdom on earth. Nobody is going to listen to these Hebrew school dropouts and a carpenter. Fifth round, tax collector. A thief, extortioner. He's going to change the world with this campaign crew of marginalized small people. But that's just how it works in the kingdom of God. He chooses the weak and he chooses the lowly. And he spends his days in small synagogues teaching lessons about the kingdom of God. And he speaks with authority and he casts out demons and he does these amazing miracles. But it's interesting, the miracles that he does is not like what I would do. I think a pretty good plan, how many of you, Thor, do you guys know Thor? He carries this like huge hammer and he can just chuck it and it'll go destroy somebody and then it flies back into his hand. Yeah, that's how it works. If I were Jesus, which is never a good thing to say, but I can imagine the Pharisees kind of butting up against my teaching and just kind of like not even acknowledging them, but just let go of the hammer and like through the wall and back the hammer would come and say like, like I was saying, the kingdom of God is like this. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it would be a pretty effective leadership style. That's how I'd use my miracles. Jesus never does that. Jesus' miracles are broken people, right? With big issues. Can't walk. Son of David, have mercy on me. And he has these real intimate moments with these people, and he pulls them sometimes out of the city, away from everybody. Nobody can see it. And he heals them, and he says, don't tell anybody. Like, what kind of campaign is that? 
How are you going to overthrow the Romans? How are you going to turn the world upside down with the deaf man outside the city that nobody gets to see it? And when they finally say, show us a sign. No. No magic shows. Only healing that comes from compassion is his miracles. And he constantly moves lower. And he constantly moves lower. And nobody understands. So we pick it up in chapter 10. And they're on the march to Jerusalem. Now this is where it's all going to go down. This is the apex of the battle. Most, most strong and ruthless empire on earth versus the kingdom of God and God's king, who Peter's already confessed that that's Christ, Jesus. Pick up in 13 and... And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child shall not enter it. And he took them into his arms, and he blessed them, and he laid his hands on them. Jesus was indignant. Just a chapter ago, we learned that Jesus had a child in his lap, and he said, if you receive one of these, you've received me. And if you receive me, you receive the Father. And now, here are the disciples on the march to Jerusalem. Big kingdom stuff is happening, and there's these moms with their babies, like wanting a child dedication in the middle of the march. And they're like, no, now is not the time for a baby dedication kingdom stuff. We're going to Rome. Have you seen these people? And Jesus gets indignant because Jesus' way is small people in small places. And Jesus rebukes them and he brings them into his hands. And now get this, all the corruption in the world that he's came to flip upside down, all the power and evil authority in Rome, it's going on all around him. And yet the creator of the universe is there to save them, and he's holding a baby, looking into the eyes and saying, this is what it's all about. Useless, no achievements, no status. This baby has done nothing. And he says, you want the kingdom of God? It's not by swords. You enter the kingdom like a baby receives. Baby doesn't earn the next scene, they're on the march again, and a, a young man throws himself at the feet of Jesus. It says in verse 17, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I like this young man. He's respectful. He throws himself at the feet of Jesus. He's chosen Jesus as the good rabbi and not these other. He's discerning. He's independently wealthy. He's well-mannered. He's moral. He's upright. This is who I'm raising my kids to be, right? Independently wealthy and moral and respectful and discerning. Gosh, he doesn't want kids like that. This is the kid. And he walks up. 
and Jesus attacks right away his worldview. His paradigm is this. There's good people and there's bad people. And in this culture, it would have been thought, if you're rich and you're healthy, you are favored from God. If you're sick and if you're poor, you're cursed by God. So this is a man that God loves. And he comes up to Jesus and he has a great question. What must I do? He's humble. He's asking for questions. He doesn't have answers. And Jesus gives him the law and he says, you know what to do. And for the sake of our time, he, he passes in front of him all these different commandments of the law. And he goes, you know what? I've done that since I was a kid. Now Jesus knows and we know it's impossible to fulfill the law as a sinful human being. So Jesus gives him another law. He gives him, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But he does it in the form of this. Love God. Get rid of everything else that competes with him. Love your neighbor. Give all your possessions to people that don't deserve it. And the man is sad, and he walks away because he has many possessions. Now, I don't know if you have, many of you have kids. This probably won't ever happen in your lifetime. But let's just say, old fisherman walks up to your daughter, sees that she's got this plastic pearl necklace on, says, you like, you like that necklace? She says, yes, very much. He says, I've caught many oysters in my nets throughout the decades of fishing. And I have these pearls, and they're the most amazing possession that I have. And I don't have a granddaughter that will inherit these, and I want to give them to you. Her eyes light up. Like, yes! Now all you have to do is take off these plastic pearls, and you can have this real thing. And we would all say to our kids, we'd slap them if they said no, right? Like, oh, you take those pearls. You don't understand now, but you take them. That's, that's the proposition here. Get away, get rid of all your plastic pearls, and I will give you the real deal. And yet, he holds on to his pearls, and he walks away sad. The next scene in the documentary is Jesus huddling with his small group, talking about what the scene had just happened. And he pulls them together, and he says this. How difficult. It will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. How difficult for those that have moved up and have aimed for up to enter the kingdom going down. Verse 24, and the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished, as hopefully we are right now. Babies enter the kingdom of God. They have no worth, no status, no achievement, nothing, no accomplishments. And this man who is at the top of his game that the disciples must have looked at in the grand scheme of our campaign and said, this is the kind of guy we need on our team. He's got it all and he's got God's favor. He's got money and resources and leadership. We need this guy. And yet he turns away and God goes, Jesus says, impossible, right? Impossible. And they're saying, what? They're exceedingly astonished. Here's the question. If he can't be saved, 
And who can be saved? Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, but we've left everything and we followed you. This is kind of how I was feeling this week preparing. Like I'm taking inventory of, okay, what have I walked away from? What have I had to give up to follow Christ? Is it enough? Have I gone low into the kingdom of God? I have to believe that's where this question came from. It's what was in my heart all week. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left anything that won't be, won't be repaid 100-fold. Jesus says this, it's not a sacrifice, it's an investment. Everything you've ever walked away from will be repaid 100-fold, both in this life and the age to come. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is the story that Mark told us to help us understand two things both the pattern of the kingdom and the entrance into the kingdom. I don't know how many of you are football fans, but um, I'm a huge Sun Devil fan. Not baseball, not anything else. I just, Sun Devil football, I love it. And we got this coach, Todd Graham. And when Todd Graham came in, with his rule came a certain pattern. It was discipline, integrity, respect. They went from the most penalized team in the country to like the least penalized team in the country. It was an amazing turnaround. With every coach comes a pattern of that coach. And Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom. And with every king, there is a pattern to the kingdom. Three things that we learn from Jesus about his kingdom. Three patterns. If you're taking notes, the pattern of the kingdom of, the God, the kingdom of God is a for others kingdom. The pattern of this world is living for yourself. There's a great picture that I know we've talked about from the pulpit before of us being in the center and everyone revolving around us. This is the pattern of the world, right? And even we view God sometimes as God. Now he's on my side and he can do what I want and he can give me the things that I want. That's not Christianity. Christianity is we get to be the one that orbits around others and around God God himself, in the form of his son, son comes down and lets go of heaven and becomes a servant and becomes obedient to the point of death. In Philippians 2, 3, it says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is the same mind as Christ. It's a for others kingdom. Now, some of you are probably feeling this tension. If I make my life about others, how will I possibly enjoy anything? When does it get to be about me? In John 15, I think Jesus answers that. He says, you want fullness of joy? The creator of the universe says, fullness of joy. I created your heart. I know how it works. You've been chasing it in plastic pearls. I'm going to tell you. How do you find joy in this world? Abide in me by obeying my commandments and laying down your life 
for others. Denying self and living for others is how we experience the joy and shalom and love and treasure that is the kingdom of God. It's a for others kingdom. Number two, the pattern of the kingdom of God is a future treasure. The pattern of the world is treasure now. He tells the rich young ruler, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Jesus in the Beatitudes in Luke 6.20 says, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the hungry, for in the future they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the mourning and sad, for in the future they shall laugh. Blessed are those that are hated and excluded and reviled, for their reward is in the future. And then he woes. Woe to you who are rich because you have your compensation now. Woe to you who are full and satisfied and comfortable. Woe to you who they speak well of you now because this is it. The kingdom of God and the pattern of the kingdom of God is investment in the future. And we live in a culture that is very much now. And this is a challenge. Three. The pattern of the kingdom of God is living the good life. I used to think my Christianity was a kale salad. I didn't know what kale salad was. Kale salad, I don't like very much. Cheeseburgers, I like very much. Okay? When I think about my Christianity, was I'm going to pass up on the cheeseburger so that I can have the kale salad because it's good for me. It's not good. It's good for me. There's a big distinction. And I looked at the sin of the world and I thought, now that, that's good. This is good for me. And if you know me, or maybe just by looking at me, I don't have the willpower to say no to cheeseburgers. And that distinction in my life has been huge. That God is calling us to the real deal. Life in his kingdom, a for others life, is the pearls. And all the other stuff of living for ourselves is plastic pearls. It's not a dinner salad. Jesus, Jesus explains the kingdom as a banquet, a great feast. It's beyond cheeseburger, right? Those are three patterns of the kingdom. The kingdom is for future treasure. The kingdom is for others. And the kingdom is real, the real good life. John 10.10, 10, he says, Thieves come to kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it to the fullest. The last two points I'm going to make is this, the way into the kingdom of God, which I think is at the heart of these snapshots that we have in Mark chapter 10. The way into the kingdom of God is deconstruction for Reconstruction. He wants to deconstruct this rich young ruler so that he can spend the rest of his life reconstructing him in his image. He wants to tear you down and bring you to your knees so that he can give you a new life. New life in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> if we're talking construction terms, this is not a remodel and it's not a build on or addition. We don't add Jesus the king to our life. He deconstructs us. And how does he do it with the rich young ruler? 
he gives him something that the man cannot do. I think the rich young ruler is probably closer to heaven at this moment than he ever was because he walked away sad and he walked away feeling inadequate. It's exactly what he does when he deconstructs us. The tax collector and the Pharisee go up to the temple to pray, and the Pharisee says, thank you that I'm not like these people. I tithe and I give and I do and I do and I do. God, thank you. And the tax collector says, I rip people off, and I'm a selfish jerk, and I'm a thief. Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I bring nothing to the table. And Jesus says in that parable, the tax collector is in. He's received the kingdom of God as a baby who has no status or no achievement. Listen, your weakness, your failure, and your sin, your weakness and your failure and your sin will never hinder you from coming to the kingdom of God. You receive it as a gift. Now, your illusions of strength will prevent you from coming into the kingdom of God. Your illusions that you are somebody because what you've achieved and what you've done, the question, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God, is not as good a question as we thought. It's not about doing, it's about receiving. Your weakness will never stand in the way of the kingdom of God. Your illusions of strength will. The last point, the way into the kingdom of God is receiving a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of what you've done, not a, not a result of works so that no one would boast. In the Pac-Man game, we live in a culture that the way up is up. We live our lives and we teach our kids to go up and you achieve and you go do it and you be moral and this is what good people do. Good people obey God. Good people do it the right way. Good people work hard. People are financially independent. Good people are, good people are. We cannot raise our kids to believe that this is Christianity. We work our way down. And we're great workers because we work hard because we serve a king. And we serve our neighbor as ourself. And we love them. And we're diligent. And we steward our time. And we work our way down in the kingdom of God. So when God comes to our kids or God comes to you and says, give it up. Those plastic pearls are competing with me. Give them up. Do we hold on and grasp or do we understand the kingdom of letting go? Greatest part of this passage, they're back on the trail. Jesus is ahead of them. They're walking behind and they're afraid. This is game day jitters. They're going to Jerusalem. It's all going to go down. And Jesus says, here's my plan for turning the world upside down. Here's what's going to happen when we get to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And you know what the Gentiles do. 
They will mock him and they will spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. His plan for entering us into the kingdom of God is God has come down and he's worked his way to be a servant, a carpenter, an ordinary man from a humble town, and he's served people and he's loved them as himself and he's gone to small places with broken people and then he's going to go into the grave so that in our Pac-Man game, we all rise And he's accomplished what is impossible for us to do, that we get to be in his shalom. We get to be in his harmony and its everlasting kingdom of love and righteousness and justice forever. And every longing of your heart that you've ever had for something good will be met. And then he leaves, and he leaves behind the church He says, I'm coming back to consummate the kingdom, to make it complete. And until then, as I reign in your hearts, you are the kingdom of God. You are the people that move low into the lowest places. You are the people that have the pearls. Repent from the plastic and live the real deal. And tell others the good news, that a king has come to fix the broken. Let's pray together. Father, that is good news for us who are weak and can do nothing to earn your favor. God, you've chosen to set it on us. You've chosen to send your son, our Christ to make the world right. We've come as babes, understanding our inability. You're spending the rest of our life reconstructing us in your image so that we might represent you and speak to a world that is upside down of a Savior and King who's coming back. His shalom, we want to taste now, we want to smell it now, we want to live in that shalom now, but we can't because we're hanging on to plastic pearls and we, we live for ourselves and we don't deny ourselves. And Lord, we pray your spirit would change that. Change me. Make me selfless. Form me in the pattern of your King Jesus. And I pray that for all my brothers and sisters in here today. We pray in Christ's name, amen.